The following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Father, so grateful for the fact that we can come together as your people and that we can uh, hear your word proclaimed, that we can come and that we can worship you. And so uh, you know where we're at, God. You know what we need. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come in this moment. Uh, We ask that you would uh, both convict us of sin, God, that you would take our hard hearts and that you would make them soft. Um, but that you would also build us up, God. We need courage, God, to go out and to do what you've called us to do, to obey you. And so um, we acknowledge here in this moment, Lord, that we need you, that we need you, that we need to hear from you, that we need to submit to you. And so I pray, God, that you would be seen, that I would be hidden. And I pray for us as we hear your word, God, that we would not simply be hearers and deceive ourselves, but that we'd be doers, God, that your word would call us to act and that we would respond in obedience. And so help us. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So if you go ahead, have your Bibles, grab them, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. So we are continuing on uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, um, and Jesus is, uh, Jesus is wrapping up his sermon. We, we talked last week about the, the two ways, and one of the things that uh, is worth repeating um, is that we saw that Jesus doesn't switch topics at the end of the sermon, right? Jesus is continuing with this theme, but he's clarifying it. And so in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, you hear uh, Jesus talking about there's two different ways. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you. And he talks about that the, the written law and the way that the law was intended, the heart of the law, right? It's not simply about uh, murder, but it's about anger in your heart towards a brother. It's not simply about adultery, but it's about lust in the heart. And so he's contrasting these two different ways. When you get into chapter 6, he starts talking about that there's two different ways to fast, to pray, to give. You can give with one eye towards man, or you can give with both eyes fixed upon God. And they have very different results. One will bring a life of peace. The other one will bring a life filled with anxiety. And then we get here into the conclusion, chapter 7, and Jesus starts talking about you know, that there are two ways. There's two gates, there's two roads, and there's two different destinations. And last week we noted that those two ways, one marks the way of the Pharisees, and the other one marks the way of those that follow Christ. That oftentimes we hear of these two ways and we think that the broad way or the, the wide gate is worldliness. And, and I think that it can be seen in that, but really in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about the broad way is the way of the Pharisees, the way of their relating to God. And so in that context, we come to today's passage and Jesus is talking about false prophets. And so the, 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 the title of the message is Beware of Who You Follow. Beware of who you follow. Who you follow has massive consequences in your life. Uh, I remember when I was young, uh, I, my parents were divorced, and I would stay with my dad. Part of the time, we lived in a little bit rougher area. Uh, and so there's you know, all different kinds of kids, older, younger, um, but one of them was a couple years older than me, and we would just hang out, uh, play all the time. But my dad had these uh, old baseball cards, some of them like Willie Mays, you know, um, some just really old, very expensive. You know, he'd save them, he'd give them to a friend. And then he, I just started kind of collecting cards. And so he was like, you know, I'm just going to, I'm really going to bless my son. I'm going to give him some of these. And I was still pretty young. But I remember getting a Willie Mays card and it was original. It was, I mean, awesome. And, uh, and this older kid that I've been hanging around with for a couple years, you know, 
showed me a different card and was and it was like it was bright it was vibrant it was colorful while my Willie Mays card is sitting here it's dull it's you know old and uh, and so I ended up exchanging that card right I listened and I had no idea and so I traded it thinking man I got a great deal here you know like he doesn't know what he's missing out on and uh, and man I'll tell you what my dad learned about that he was frustrated to say the least but there's consequences for who you follow right for who you listen to for what you believe, right? There's consequences in you and I's life for where we go. And so Jesus is going to here kind of talk to us about some of those consequences, about what it looks like um, for us to, to be cautious about who we listen to and who we follow. And so Matthew 7, verse 15 through 20, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits." you will recognize them by their fruits. So there's a a big idea that kind of guides us for our time in the passage is that Jesus is warning us. He says, beware of false prophets. Beware of false prophets that we discern them by their attitude and actions. We discern them by their attitude and actions when he talks about fruit. And so we're going to look at uh, three things. The passage kind of breaks down into uh, these three points. He says, beware of false prophets because of their deadly deceitfulness their deadly deceitfulness in verse 15. Beware of false prophets because of their devilish deeds, their devilish deeds in verses 16 through 18. And beware of false prophets because of their destructive destiny in verse 19. So first, let's start in verse 15 where he says, he first starts, says, beware. Jesus is here cautioning us. And I think it's so important to realize that Jesus is one that loves us. And because he loves us, he is going to, he's going to caution us. He says, beware, not everybody out there has your good intentions in mind. Not everybody out there is, is for you. And so he, he says, be very cautious. Come and have discernment. Be able to filter through. Don't just consume everything that is put before you. And this is, a, this is in some ways a challenge because in lots of ways we open ourselves up uncritically because of the, a massive amount of information that we have. I mean, never before in human history have we been able to consume as much information as we are able to consume in our day. And so a lot of times we are passive and we watch TV and we listen to people and there's so much information that how can we sift through it all? And so we just passively scoop in. I mean, it happens in the movies that we watch and the music that we listen to that we just gobble up a whole different worldview, a whole different perspective, and we do it uncritically. We do it without thinking. And one of the, the chief ends of movies is to, is to help you see what it means to live a good life. Almost every movie, you can ask this question, what does this movie say it means to live a good life? And so often, we are propagated all of this information about what it means to live a good life, and we swallow it up. That What it means to live a good life is it means to have this kind of lifestyle, as it means for us to live in luxury, for it means to live, for us to live in comfort, for it, it means for us to have a certain kind of status, for us to live in certain kinds of relationships. And so we drink all of these things in 
uncritically thinking this is what a good life is. And before you know it, we would never claim that that's what's true, but we live as if that's what's true, as if that is what really matters. And so Jesus says, listen, be cautious. Beware of what it is that you put in, your, in front of your eyes and what it is that you listen to. Don't just dismiss it as if it's cultural and everybody does it. Everybody watches that. Everybody listens to this. Because I promise you that it will lead you astray. Now listen, this isn't also a, a cry that we're uh, prudish or snobs, right? That we are called to engage with culture, but we're called to be discerning in it. And so Jesus, he says, be cautious. And the next thing he says is be cautious what specifically of? Of false prophets. Now, in the Old Testament, there are four kind of major roles that we see. We see the king, right? And the king was intended to lead God's people, right? When you look at Saul or David or Saul, they were there to lead God's people as God led them. Then you have the priest, right? The priests are there to intercede for God's people. They are called to come and to make atonement for, to be in the presence of God and to bring the people's requests and to bring their sin before God that he would forgive and that he would atone. So they're standing in God's presence, in the place of the people to intercede. And then you have the sage. This is where you have Proverbs and Job and uh, all these things. And the sages were the ones that kind of stepped back and thought about life's deep questions. Why is there evil when there are the righteous suffering like Job? What does it mean for us to live a, a good and righteous life when we look at the book of Proverbs? It gives us these helpful hints. And so, but the last is the prophet. The prophet was the one that was given the word of God God spoke to the prophet in order that that prophet might turn and speak to the people. And so you see a lot in, uh, whether it's Jeremiah, Ezekiel, whether you look at the time of exile, God is speaking directly to one man in order that that man might in turn share and steer God's people into the words of God. But there were also, amidst the prophets, there were false prophets. And you see this is throughout the Old Testament. There were many, many false prophets. And these false prophets would deceive, they would lie, they would say this is what God says, but it wasn't. And so hear this, Jesus says, woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. One of the marks of a false prophet in the Old Testament was that they told the people what they wanted to hear when they wanted to hear it. I mean, almost all of the prophets would come and they would declare the truth about God's judgment, but his eventual restoration. But that wasn't what the people wanted to hear. They wanted to hear that everything was going to be okay. But the true prophets refused and they would speak the truth to them. And so he says, one of the things to note is that when when there's no one that ever speaks ill of you, when when everybody always has you in their favor, are we following the way of Christ? Now, this isn't also a ploy to say, listen, I'm just going to, I want to be a jerk for Jesus, (laughs) Right? I mean, you have some people that say, listen, I'm, I'm going to go out and I'm just going to offend people because I'm more like Jesus when I offend people. And that's not, the, that's not the gospel either. But following the way of Christ is going to offend people. Sticking up for integrity, living out a life of purity, choosing to say that there is one way, one truth, and one life, and it's found in Christ, that is going to alienate you against some people, despite how you love them, how you serve them, how you care for them. And so if we are not able to, to live in that and the question is, are we, are we following Christ? Are we following Jesus? And so the, the false prophets would tell people what, what they wanted to hear rather than what God had said. And hear this in Ezekiel 13, 9. 
God is saying about the false prophets. He says, my hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord God. Now, those false prophets, they might have endured a season of prosperity. Those false prophets at the time might have seemed famous or might have seemed to live a life of envy. But here he says that what really matters is that they aren't in my kingdom. God says that they are alienated, they are cut off, that they are not with me. And so we start out with Jesus' warning saying, we need to be cautious, we need to be a people of discernment, and we need to realize that there are false prophets. It's a reality. Jesus says that as the, the time grows old, as the gospel spreads, that they're going to pop up more and more and more false teachers. And that is a reality. Listen, not every way leads to God. There are some that will lead you to hell and that will lead you astray. Jesus comes and, and he desires that people would come to him, but he also, he says that the way is narrow, the gate is small, that there are few that find it. And he asked that you would come, that you would follow him on that narrow path, through that narrow gate, on the road of many, because there is life. There is life there. And so we need to be aware of who we follow. So let's dig in. First, we see in verse 15, the deadly deceitfulness, right? That we need to be aware of falling false prophets because they have a deadly deceitfulness. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So notice he says that the false prophets aren't easily recognizable. They come, they come in sheep's clothing. I think we have another picture coming up here, right? So they, they come masquerading as, as sheep. And I think it's interesting that Jesus portrays his church as sheep, as gullible, as led astray oftentimes, but he says that we, we are sheep. And he says that when a false prophet comes in, they will come in masquerading as one of you, that they will appear innocent, they will appear righteous. They might even have the right language. They come in, they sound orthodox, they sound like they know what they're talking about. But he says, hear this, there is a deceitfulness about them, that though they pretend to be good, though they pretend to walk amongst the sheep to truly follow the shepherd, they instead have an ulterior motive. And you can tell, not because outwardly it's evident always, but because inwardly. He says, inwardly, they are like ravenous wolves. And what does that mean, that they're like ravenous wolves? Well, wolves, in this picture, are, have an insatiable ability to consume. When they get into a flock, what they do is they separate. Wolves will separate one of the flock of sheep, and they will pin it, and they will begin to devour it. And they'll do that one after another until they fleece the flock, until they have cut off enough, and they will continue to eat and to eat and to eat. And he says, inwardly, this is, this is a sign of corruption. And so 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5, he, in, he shows what the true heart of a shepherd should be. And so I want us to look at what the true heart of a shepherd should be, and we'll see in contrast how the deceit of the false prophets uh, that will see their heart also. So 1 Peter 5, 1, it says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is, is going to be revealed Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not, not under compulsion. Not under compulsion, right? So this is one of the things he says, that we are to shepherd the flock of God eagerly. 
We're not to do it out of just simply obligation, but out of instead a, an eager, a longing, a, a desire to love the Lord, to love his people. But willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, not for shameful gain. This is one of the marks of a false prophet, is that they shepherd the, the people of God in order that it might fill their pocketbook. And we, we don't need too many illustrations to see this is evident. In our culture, we have pastors, we have uh, leaders that will use the church as a means for a better deal to sell their book or to, to skim some off the top. And so they realize that, that godliness is, a, and for them, godliness is a form of financial gain rather than, a, a, rather than gain spiritually. And he says, beware when the leadership is there and you see this insatiable desire, this greed that lies deep within them. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge. And this is another thing. One of the things you can see in a false prophet or a false teacher is the longing for power. Right? Is it they're, they're, they have to domineer? You see this desire to control, to nitpick. Right? They're not able to, to love or to trust. And so this desire for, for power for control is one of the marks. But being examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And one of the marks of a false prophet is pride. They're so consumed with themselves that they're not able to see others. They're not... When, when you're looking down on other people, you can't look up and see the Lord. And so pride is one of the hallmarks of a false prophet, of a false leader. And so beware, beware when someone comes and they look good, be patient. Time will tell. The heart will reveal itself if there's an inward ferociousness, an inward desire to consume the people of God rather than shepherd them rather than guide them, rather than care for them and love them and lay their life down. You see, that's the difference, is that a false prophet will use the people of God, while a true teacher will follow the under-shepherd, and he will lay his life down for the sheep, that he will care for them, he will serve them, he will labor with them, even when it's hard and when it's difficult. So our hope in this, our hope is that we have a, a true shepherd. Right? Jesus Christ is our true shepherd, and he will lead us as we listen to his voice. And so, yes, God has given, God has given you us as elders, as leaders, and our heart and our desires to love you is to serve you, is to build you up. We want to get behind you. We want to encourage you. We want to see you mature in Christ. But you also are called first and foremost to follow the chief shepherd. You're, you're called to follow Christ. You're called to seek his word, to, to listen and discern his spirit. And so, and that's our hope is that ultimately Jesus Christ is our shepherd and that when we follow him, that he will lead us in his path and in his way. And listen, this isn't an isolated thing. We do that together, right? Together we pray, together we listen to God, together we commune with one another, and that is what prevents us from error. It protects us. We need each other. The flock is so much stronger when they stick together and they, when they follow the shepherd rather than when we have three or four sheep wandering off here and three or four wandering off there. It makes it easy for wolves. But when the flock sticks together, when they're together and they're following the shepherd, they're so much stronger. It's a, it's a much better defense. So we need to beware because of deadly deceitfulness. 
The next thing is that we need to, we recognize false prophets by their devilish deeds, by their devilish deeds. Verses 16 through 18, it says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can the diseased tree bear good fruit. So he gives two illustrations here. First one is that there's the illustration of the mistaken identity. So he, he says, grapes can't be gathered from thorn bushes, nor can figs from thistles. But hear this, from a distance, they look similar, right? When you, when you look at a thorn bush or, a, yeah, when you look at a thorn bush from a distance, it's called, there's a, they had what was called a buckthorn, and there are little black berries on it. And from a distance, it looks very similar to grapes, and so he says, listen, you can easily have mistaken identity because on the surface they look similar. But he says, don't be confused because grapes are nourishing, buckthorns aren't. When you get close enough, thistles will prick you. Figs will nourish you. And so there's a, there's a difference up close when you get in there and you see there is a difference, even though externally they might look similar. We can have a mistaken identity. 2 Corinthians 12, 13 through 15, Paul's talking here. And notice, in almost every single one of the New Testament books, there are warnings against false teachers. They're constantly warning. I mean, Paul has, I mean, Jesus and Paul have very harsh words. I mean, Jesus calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, sons of Satan. Like, he has hard words for those that lead his people astray. And Paul, too, I mean, when you read Paul in Galatians, I mean, he does not pull punches. He's like, listen, emasculate yourself. You're not going to bear any more fruit physically or spiritually if I have any. You know, he's like, he, he longs for them to, to not be able to reproduce the, the errors that they are doing. And so there's great warning. But hear this from Paul. He says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. And so he says that even Satan comes masquerading as light because he knows the best way to tempt someone isn't outright temptation most often, but it's slow. It's, it's, it's simple. Let me just give you a little bit here and there, and I'm going to lace a crumb trail until finally you don't know where you're at. And so we, we, we can't mistake their identity because of the way that they talk or the way that they appear or because their words are palatable to our ears or because they're gifted. There are amazing gifted men, but they have left the faith. They have, they have abandoned the way of Christ. And God would call us to discern and not to follow. The next illustration, he talks about the difference between a healthy and a diseased tree. Right? He says that, there are healthy trees, and healthy trees produce good fruit. But then he says diseased trees produce bad fruit. Have you ever had that? Have you ever gotten something and you thought, man, this is going to be a really good, whether it's apple, we have orange trees in the back, but you look at it, you think this is going to be good, and you bite it, and you're like, that is terrible. And you, and you know instantly that it's, it's not good. Right? He says that this is that, that when you're biting into the life, because it's, the question is, what is the fruit? Right? What, what, what does it mean, good fruit? I think what he means here is he means not just simply their teaching, but he also means their life. Because the Pharisees, if, if this is what it's talking about in the context, the Pharisees bore very close resemblance to Jesus' theology. 
I mean, yes, there were errors. They added on to the law of God, but there were very close similarities, but it was life. And he says, and I mean, in other places, Jesus says, listen, follow what they say, but don't do what they do. Look at their life. They're stingy. They're whitewashed tombs. On the outside, they look pretty. They look clean. They look nice. But inside, there's dead man's bones. It's full of greed. It's full of pride, full of lust. And he says, when you look at a man, you don't just look at his teaching. You look at his life as, all, as well. And this is, why it's, this is why we have to, as a body, we can do... We can do some good for those that are led astray, for, for false prophets. We do need to guard outside. But really, the best way that we do that is within our body, within our context, is by preserving the truth here, is that we, we love you and we want to. That's, that's one of our chief jobs as shepherds, is that we try to guard. We want to guard from, from error, and we want to encourage to live a holy and righteous life. Because so much of, of false prophets as preventing is just encouraging you to follow Jesus. As we encourage you, as we seek to follow Christ, and you encourage us to follow Christ, you see, heresy is naturally dispelled. The best way to fight what is counterfeit is to know what is true. I mean, that's what they do with banks, is they train you what is true. They train you to know what a dollar bill looks like so well that you're able to discern and to spot the counterfeit. And you see, there's so many heresies. I mean, we could spend tons of time talking about Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Islam, I mean, Buddhism. We could sit there and, and we could talk about all these different ideologies. But listen, the best way is to know the truth. Is to know what does it mean that you are saved by faith in Christ's work alone and in his death and his, his burial, his resurrection again from the dead. That through faith in that, through trusting him, through turning from your sin and fully giving yourself to him, you are saved that it's not about your ability to perform in God's sight, but it's instead about trusting Christ's performance for you. And that is, that's such a big difference. I mean, that's the difference really between every other false error in the gospel, is that it's by faith alone and Christ alone. Grace alone. So one of the things that you note, though, about diseased trees is that several years ago, there were... Uh, a ton of orange trees in Florida, but the disease came and it spread through and it wiped out a ton of them. And it starts slowly and surely, right? The disease, it starts to spread. Sometimes it moves quick, but a lot of times it moves slowly and it eats away. And so how is it that the, the disease spreads in a congregation like in the church? Well, it starts slowly and surely as a pastor or as people begin to be more consumed with what people think of them rather than what God thinks, with their ideas and their creativity rather than being faithful and stewarding God's word. And then it becomes more about my originality to create a message, to create something that's going to get people to enjoy me or to like me, to entertain, rather than being faithful and trusting that God's word will not come back void, that it will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent, that his word is enough, I don't have to add to it. That when he, his word is preached, that it will go forth, it will, it will have power, that it will change us, it will convict us, it will encourage us, it will build us up. And that is a conviction that we must have because when we begin to err from that, all it takes is a little bit. And a little bit over a long time, all of a sudden, you don't know where you're at. And so this is something that we need accountability and you need accountability in, is that we need to trust that God's word is enough, that it alone is able to change us. And so we trust in it, we follow it. 1 John 2, 18 through 19, it says, Children, it is the last hour. And as you've heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. 
Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would not have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. This is a hard truth. I've had several friends that I thought were believers that walked with me but have abandoned the faith, have left. And what John here is saying is he's saying that it was revealed that they were not of us. That there are people that are perhaps even here and that you might be deceived in thinking that you're a believer. One of the hallmarks of a believer is perseverance. As you see, a, a good tree, it bears its fruit, and that fruit takes a while to show itself. And I've seen that. Getting to pastor, I've seen that. That, it, that we have people that come in that are very eager, very zealous, very passionate. That's why we're cautious, and we love them, we care about them, but we want to give a season. We want to see what does their life look like in six months? What does it look like in a year, in two years, in three years? Is the, is the, the seed that God put, is it landed on good soil? Is it producing a crop? Is it showing up? Because he says that there are people that will leave, that have abandoned the faith, and it breaks my heart. I love some of my brothers. I love them deeply, and I pray for them. One in particular that I know is, has left the faith, and, and John says here it, that he was never there. And so we, we, we fight together, and we be patient. We let fruit take its time and display itself. And so what is the fruit? We've talked about but. The fruit, I think, is two things. It's our attitudes and our actions. It's our belief and our behavior. It's our character and our conduct. So the fruit here Jesus is talking about is it, it's, it's our attitude, that good fruit, that the kingdom, when, when he puts his good seed in us and it finds its root in good soil, it's going to produce an attitude that glorifies God. And we see this in the fruit of the Spirit, right? The, the Spirit, when he lives inside of us, he's going to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. He produces these things in us. That these are things that we can't just pace into our life. Right? We can try to fake love. We can try to fake joy, but only for a season. Right? When difficulty t- comes, then it will be revealed what's really there. And so our, our attitudes are one of the chief ways that are demonstrating whether we're abiding in the true vine, whether we're gaining our strength from Christ, whether our roots, as Psalm 1 will talk about, whether our roots are found in the water, the living water that gives us strength in Christ, or whether we have roots in our life that are found on other things. Whether the roots in our life are found in our relationship, whether they're found in our performance, our ability to perform at work, our ability to parent. These, if, our, if our roots in our life are found in these things, then they're not going to have the strength to endure when times of difficulty comes when your relationships have a difficult moment, when your children aren't being obedient, right? When, when your job doesn't go as you planned. He says that these are the times when our, our roots need to be grounded in Christ. They have to be rooted where our identity is found in Him. And so he talks about that it's our attitude, but it's also our actions. It's also our deeds. James 2 talks about Two different kinds of men. One says that I believe in Jesus and, and, and it's my faith. But yet there's no evidence of his faith. His life is barren. It's like a waterless cloud. It goes by yet it doesn't rain. It's like drinking salt water not knowing. You thought that you were going to get filled and quench your thirst and all of a sudden you're more thirsty. But he says that there's a man that says, my faith is demonstrated through my life. My deeds, my works, they testify to my faith. They are a demonstration of my faith. He says, this is one of the ways that you know a false prophet. 
or and you know a true a true prophet from a false prophet is that a true prophet is that their attitude and their actions will line up their teaching will accord with the word of god first john talks about he says test the spirits every spirit that says that christ has not come in the flesh is not from god and so we are to be discerning we're to test the spirits and to see which is from the lord and which isn't So we've seen that we're to be careful of false prophets because of their deadly deceitfulness, because of their devilish deeds, and last, because of their destructive destiny. Their destructive destiny. He says in verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Second Peter 2.17 says, there, These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. There's a reality that behind following a false prophet, following someone that will lead you astray, is that there's a reality of hell, is that people are cut off from God and that ultimately when they choose to follow someone else than Christ, they will get what they have wanted. They will, they will forever worship the false God that they have been following. And that's, that's what we see with, in the Old Testament with false, false prophets, is that they would lead people to serve Baal, they would lead people to serve other gods, and it brought about the destruction. Time and time again, God would chastise his people against that. And he would say, listen, turn aside from following these false gods. And for us, I think that that oftentimes is comfort. We want to be comfortable. We don't want to follow Christ and the commands that he would give us. And so he would say, turn aside from these false gods, from these false idols. Turn and follow me. Because if we continue, right, if you're here and you don't know the Lord, you haven't trusted him, if you continue to follow these things, it will, it will lead you to be eternally separated from God. And this is, there are th- certain things that should scare you in life, and this is one that should. If you're here and you're not, you've not trusted in Christ, this should cause you great angst, and it should lead you to put your faith in Christ because he desires to save you. Jesus describes hell as a place of gnashing of teeth. And, and here he says, talking about throwing into the fire. And I think what this means is far worse than something simply physical. I think he's talking about something that is relational, something that is, I think there is physical torment and pain. But when I think of hell, I think of addiction. And I see it so clearly in those, in in my own life, whenever you struggle with addiction, right, you do what you hate, but yet it's consuming you. And all of a sudden, you stop hating it, and you begin to long for it, but you know that it it is eating you from the inside out. And you are no longer who you used to be. And you, you see it, but you can't stop it. And this is what hell is like, is that it is serving these false gods. And listen, it can be seen as things that are very palatable in our culture, things that are very acceptable. But in the end, it will consume you, it will eat you from the inside out, and it will leave you empty. And I think sometimes it's most clearly on drugs, but it can be seen in anything. It doesn't have to be simply drugs, but I've seen it where you are, you're gaunt, it affects your physical appearance. It leads you to steal from other people, even sometimes those closest to you. You're desperate, and you will do anything in order that you might get that thing that you wanted, that thing that you were thirsting for. And Jesus pictures, I think this is what hell is like. See, God is the one that can satisfy the thirst in your life. He's the one that can quench that thing that you have been so hungering for. And when you push him aside, when you reject him, there is no answer to that thirst. There is no satisfaction to that hunger. And forever and ever, you will continue to be in that sense of longing, in that sense of hunger, but never able to be satisfied, and it will destroy you. It will eat you from the inside out. 
And Jesus says, beware of who you follow. Because if you follow the wrong person, if you do not follow my way and my voice and my word, it will lead you astray and the consequences will be more than you can imagine. Man, but thank God that we trust in Christ and that he has given us his spirit that prevents us, that we have a Holy Spirit, that when we trust in him, that he fills us and that he is the convictor of sin. He is the revealer of truth. He illuminates God's word so that we can know this is from the Lord. And so, man, there is hope for us that as we trust in Christ, as we follow him, that he is the one that will keep us. He is the true vine that as we abide in him, he will bear good fruit in us. This is not about working harder. It's not about us trying to produce more fruit. It's about instead us remaining in Christ, us securing our identity, fighting to believe that he is enough. As we hold on to this, it will prevent us from error. It will bind us together as a body, and it will save our souls. It will rescue us. So as we, as we worship, as we come and we sing, my prayer for you and my, my encouragement is that that you would fight to believe that God is enough, that his word is enough. And my challenge for you is that, as Psalm 1 talks about, it says, Blessed is man who does not walk in the way of sinners, nor stand in the seat of scoffers, nor, uh, sorry, who does not stand in the way of sinners, nor walk in, the, walk in the way of sinners, stand in the seat of scoffers, nor sit in, uh, in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. On that law, he meditates day and night. Right, that he meditates on God's law day and night. And so my encourage you is not just to read God's word, but to study it, to immerse yourself in it. It's different between just taking five minutes and reading God's word and actually studying God's word because it's through studying God's word that we are protected. And it's in that that our life is guarded and it's directed. And so can I encourage you to study God's word, make time for it in your life, not to just take five minutes and just briefly read through a passage, but to actually dig into it. This is one of the ways that God's going to protect us to be discerning. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you are the, uh, the true shepherd or that you know your sheep and that you will not lose one of those that is entrusted to you. And so we are grateful for that, God, that you know us and that you will keep us because of your strength, because of your sovereignty and your goodness. And so, God, I pray that you would protect us as a church, that you would protect us from error. God, that we would know the truth and that we would be grounded and planted in your word. And that you, through that, would bear good fruit in our lives, God. That we would see people come to know you. That we would live uh, lives of joy and of peace and of love. That our character would manifest itself in good deeds. We need you, Jesus. We love you. Sing we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.